1: welcome i'm dr jeremy lokebaugh industrial organizational psychology consultant and workplace communication and negotiation coach in addition to cbock.com that you just heard you can also visit my website at turnboot.com if you're in or getting into the io psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an io psych practitioner Check out CBOC's I.O. Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of FreeGo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome back, everybody. Here we are at our weekly chat for IOs, HR, recruiters, and all of those of us who are in the Helping People Network. Uh, Today, Jeremy, you brought to us an interesting topic. How do we transfer on-site trust to the remote work relationship? Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about the trust issue when it comes to remote work. How do I actually know that my employees are working? (laughs) When they when they're not down the hall from me. But uh, tell us a little bit about where, where this idea came from and maybe some of the things that you've been hearing and seeing out there.
1: So when we talk about trust in the remote uh, workforce, so it's going it might be a little difficult today, but let's try to stay on track with not how do we create trust because that's where our minds are going to go. is how do we create trust. The idea is here is how do you transfer trust? Meaning, the idea is: How do you not lose trust that you've already gained? So, if you were, so we're not talking about new relationships. We're going to try our best. We're we're not we're going to try not to talk about uh, how do you gain trust. We're talking more mostly about how do you not lose trust that you've already had. You had trust with your employees a certain level when you were on site. Now that you're remote, how do you transfer that trust to keep what you have? And then to continue to build on that.
2: Uh, Can I I ask a why question? (laughs) I, I know you don't like why questions, but why are we losing trust? What is going on that, you know, if I'm a leader and I've got my team down the hall, I can go and visit them and I seem to have a lot of trust. But why is it when it's online, all of a sudden that trust seems to disappear?
1: So bringing that up, so that's great, because we also, something that we're also going to have to keep in mind is, we'll have to be specific Are we ta- when, when we're sharing our, our perspectives. Are we talking about uh, a leader trusting employees, or are we talking about employees trusting leaders? So we'll have to keep those things in mind when we're talking so that our messaging today is very clear. And why are we losing trust? You know, if you're You know, it's a lot of time. if you've had a certain level of trust built up, you're still going to, you're likely going to trust your employees just as much because you're going to, you know them, you've developed a rapport, you've developed a relationship. Employees might have a little more trouble with this particular concept because now they have to, they're trusting their boss. And what are you trusting the boss in? Now we're real, you know, employees are realizing that they're navigating a different, even, you know, organizational culture. uh, uh, organization, political environment, meaning that they're being pulled in different directions. They might have different uh, determinations of success and team success. So how do you continue to still be an advocate for your boss and how can you enrich that relationship as well? So we'll talk about it from both sides here today.
2: And, And would that include trust between team members, people working together, Although I have to say, you know, from what I've seen, that's not the major issue. It really is that trust factor with the leader, with the boss.
1: Great, great ad. So, yes, we'll we'll also include trust between team members. And, hey, while we're at it, throwing everything that really matters. Trust between, um, you know, client and uh, individual and also even with vendors, with company vendors. So we can talk about it. That's good. I'm glad you brought that up because now we can see this from uh, a, a more whole Perspective.
2: So let me ask you, is there anything, you know, if, if we look at the exchange of communication, one is on a face to face basis, um, I, I might not be in your personal space, but at least we're in the same environment. And so we're sharing a lot of signals. Is it because we're now working with this thing, you know, this, this screen, and it's, it's not like we're sitting in a room together. And is it we're, we're losing the ability to see those signals, although you can get lots of signals from video, but is it the losing of, of those messages or is it in some way the way we deal with video, like video is supposed to be for relaxation purposes? What, what is going on that's breaking that trust connection?
1: certainly body language has a lot to do with it luckily we catch a lot that we don't even know uh, from from facial gestures uh we we catch a lot from even we don't realize this but you can see your pupils you you get you gain a lot by seeing someone's pupils dilates dilate and there are even some studies that suggest that when we talk to somebody our pupils will dilate in synchronicity with theirs. However, on these Zoom meetings, it's difficult because you're not having clear pictures. So we can throw that one out, much like you can throw out any body language, pretty much below the top uh, quadrant here. So I, you know, when you look at trust, most of it less is going to have to do. I believe less is going to have to do with what's happening on screen than what's happening when you're not connected, when you're not talking to someone. That's when emotions creep in, that's when feelings creep in, whether it be fear of missing out, whether it be uh, I'm being ignored, whether it be, did I do do something wrong? Think about your personality. What do you fear? What are the things that you fear the most? Some people fear being being wrong, being inaccurate. Some people fear I made a mistake. Silence to some people means, "Uh oh, I made a mistake. Um, silence also, you know, so, or, or being cited. So what is your greatest fear and how is that starting to, to creep in with your emotions? And part of it is identifying that and identifying what does trust mean to you and what is happening with the trust, my, my, the trust bubble that I'm in. And that's when you can start to attend to it better, whether you're, you know, person to client, employee to boss, boss to employee, team member to team member. Tom?
2: Well, you know, that's really interesting because when we're teaching young film students, we'll teach them the power of the reaction shot. So if it's a two-person scene, we'll actually flip the camera before person one finishes speaking because we want to grab the reaction shot Mm -hmm. of that person we're watching. Uh, I see hands going up. Lee, let's go to you.
3: Now, I, I think that one aspect of this that we don't always take into account is the personal part of that. Because it's not just trusting your boss or your employees or your coworkers; it's also within yourself. What are you comfortable with, and what level of interaction and communication are you comfortable with? Because a lot of people who are sitting at home, and all of a sudden they don't have that interaction, then there then there's the wondering: you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, do they do they know I'm working? Do you know? Uh, They can't see me working. So how do they know I'm doing a good job? You know, am I going to get in trouble for something that I thought I was supposed to do, but I didn't? And so uh, it takes a certain kind of personality and self-confidence to to effectively work remotely because you have to believe in what you're doing and be able to communicate that clearly with other people and trust that they are receiving your your signals because otherwise you're going to be sitting there the whole time. They haven't responded in five minutes. Does that mean something's wrong? And, you know, I've, I've seen that a lot with people that I've worked with, that they just, they, they can't handle that. Um, because when you're there, you can see the reaction, as you said, you know, how are they reacting to me? And, and, oh, the boss looks like he's having a bad day, you know, so I know I need to walk a little, little quieter or whatever it is.
2: Uh, let me ask you this, Lee, because you, you, you got something going in my mind. And I know, you know, working with people and, and, and being on camera, some people are just really nervous with doing what we're doing right now and being on camera. And if I start to get nervous, it's going to change my breathing. It's going to change the tone and quality of my voice. And that could be perceived as being untrustworthy. Do you think there's any of that going on?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is uh, it is harder to catch those, those cues when you're on the camera. But at the same time, uh, we're in close-up. You know, I mean, I'm seeing your your face much larger than I would probably be if we were sitting in the same room and, and I can't see anything above, you know, here. You know, so I, I don't know what you're doing with your hands. I don't know if you're tapping your foot. I don't know all these, these other cues. And also a lot of times from the other side of that, uh, I remember doing a uh, there was a training thing that normally would be done in person. And so instead of all these people out in a room, everybody, we, we got this. And you see every little reaction, you see that one little drop of sweat running down their head, you know, and and it's, you know, it's blood in the water to sharks, right? So everybody yeah. is zoomed in on that person going, hey, you know, what what are we going on? What's going on with this guy? Where behind them, you just kind of lean a little bit, and you're behind somebody, you know, and, and it totally changes that dynamic, uh, which is kind of fascinating.
2: <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you
4: to um, pick up on something Jeremy said and I hadn't ever thought of this uh, analogy really but when you talk about how do you establish trust with your clients and your vendors you know that's something that's been ongoing for a long time and they're not in your office sitting next to you and so i think that and and I, that a lot of leaders are looking for what's the recipe you know is it is it doable and I think using that kind of analogy um, is, is wonderful and it probably put more focus on how are we doing those interactions and it may even facilitate an improvement in your client relationships as well because you're really paying attention to it, right? So I'd love to know, you know how other people are seeing that, but I think that's an awesome way of looking at it. They're not sitting next to you, but you establish trust with your clients. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a great way to work on those communication skills and and building trust through them, even though now we're doing stuff online. Sarah, let's go to you.
5: Hi, Tom. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself about locus of control and this whole thing, because there's kind of tends to be this conversation around introversion and extroversion, like that always comes up. And for some reason, people start to equate extroversion with external locus of control. And I want to kind of differentiate the two. Okay. Um, locus of control doesn't have anything to do with sociability or your behaviors. In fact, the, and just for people who aren't familiar with the concept of locus of control, that's whether or not you believe that your outcome is dependent on external variables or internal variables. Okay. Okay that has nothing to do with your level of extroversion or introversion. So when we're talking about, are my employees actually working? Okay. And that question in your mind, that is actually in this instance because of the remote nature of work, it doesn't have anything to do with extroversion or introversion. It has to do with locus of control and locus of control was actually not correlated with extroversion or introversion at all, but it was correlated with a high level of neuroticism. Hmm. So, For people who need or or tend to seek validation, external validation, they are the ones that are going to be struggling. Those are the managers and leaders that are going to have a challenging time with this. It's not whether or not they're extroverted or introverted or whether or not they can be on camera or not be on camera. Because we can simply just do this. And I can still have a conversation with you and I feel like I'm in my safe little bubble. What I just did there just for people who are listening is I turned my Zoom camera off and continued speaking, right? So I think it's really important when we're having this conversation to distinguish the difference, okay? It's not whether or not you want to be social. Humans are social. We are all ambiverts, okay? Like it or not, it's varying degrees. We all exist on a spectrum of external and internal motivators as well. But if we have that high need for validation, we are going to struggle a lot more with remote work. Okay. And knowing that about yourself, if you if you understand that you are that type of individual, you're that type of leader, there are things you can do to mitigate some of those things.
2: Okay. But I'm going to push back for a second. <laughs> yeah. Because as if we're using video, as soon as you turn your screen off and you show me your picture... Or if we're doing a Zoom meeting and all I see is your picture, my thoughts go to what are you hiding? What are you not willing to let me see? And so all of a sudden, my trust in you is starting to decrease.
5: And that would be your external (laughs) locus of control showing, Tom. So that tells me a lot about you. But it's fair to say, it's fair to say that neither one is positive or negative. Um, and I think there is a tendency in our, in, you know, our culture, right? We live in a capitalist society, the more extroverted you are, and the more of an external locus of control you have, the more you show up, the more people are paying attention to you. But guess what? Those two things combined can make life incredibly challenging. So they're not correlated with one another. So I'm not saying that they are the same thing, but if you have both of those, It's going to make this remote work thing really stinking hard. Um, And you are likely to be one of the people that engages in online communities such as this one.
2: you saying there's something wrong with all of us?
5: (laughs) No, I'm saying there's something right with every single one of us, Tom.
2: Yay. Cynthia.
6: So, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, You know, I like what you're saying there, sir. I think that's important. But also, you know, some people only have a face for radio. Some people just aren't meant to be on camera and or they may have a they stutter or they just you know, there are people in the PR field who cannot who can pick up the phone and pitch all day long but cannot do it in person. And so that external internal also is the employee's behavior as to you know, they're in a job for a particular reason because they can pick up the phone and call like crazy, but they don't necessarily fit into what we think of our our natural um, norms Um, also, uh, I wanted to just bring up about cancel culture because it works both ways, but we are all here. We are all being recorded. Our, our, we don't know where this could go. It could. You could be recording me outside of what Tom is doing for, for the radio, and uh, that causes a certain um, discomfort and distrust on both sides. Employees don't want to feel like they got the big brother watching them anymore than you want. Results to be more important than people from the employer side.
2: First of all, I love your shamrocks.
6: <laughs> Thank you. Happy St. Patrick's Day Yay. to everybody. Good luck. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I, I I agree. Although I, I will say it's you know if you're if you're really good looking, yeah, you you definitely have an advantage on this screen. But what we've discovered in the film industry is that. It's the interesting people. It's the people who maybe aren't really beautiful, but kind of interesting to look at. They can really, <laughs> you know, control the market. Uh, Jeremy, I want to come back to you because have we answered this question?
0: <laughs> you mean are, are we
1: are we done? Is it no, no, no? I mean, is like, closed.
2: Yeah. No, but we've talked about this. But, you know, every once in a while, I do feel us getting pulled off topic a little bit here. And we're trying to focus on how we actually transfer um. this trust. And so have we actually talked about that? I mean, I, I, you know, I liked what Cynthia said about you need to trust your employees. And maybe that's where it starts because we seem to lose trust when we go online. But have we really answered that question on, on how you transfer this trust that you've developed on site to the remote world
1: we're getting there what we're hearing is uh some some great perspective and great advice and we'll continue to get there there's plenty of things you know there's endless things you can do there's endless perspectives endless theories endless action items endless things um and and we'll continue to go one you know particular action item is try to there was a study done, uh, it was about 1200 people in 24 different countries and 240 of these individuals were managers and something like 40% said they lack, uh, confidence in their own ability to, to work with the remote workforce. Um, most is about 600, uh, employees, uh, something about 38%, I believe felt that their bosses didn't, trust them in a remote work environment. One thing that was found was uh, autonomy. Those who had autonomy themselves were likely to trust their own employees. So there's kind of a social learning trickle down type of effect. So this is a little difficult, but we also talked last week about what you can do when your boss is a poor leader and how you can manage up and specific things you can say. If you want to be a better leader and you want to trust your workforce more, but just can't seem to understand how to do it. I know this sounds a little reverse. Go to your own boss and work on that trust. Ask for more autonomy, because as you get more autonomy, you will begin to trust. Again, we're thinking way outside the box here, but we're also thinking about things that have been known to work. And that's what we want to do rather than throw darts blindfolded. So try to increase the trust with your own boss. Try to increase the levels of autonomy that you are provided. That will help you understand. And also, sometimes we just need validation in life. Sometimes we have these great ideas. We want to do something. We struggle with ourselves. Sometimes we just need someone that we trust to say, yeah, that's okay to do that. That's a good idea. It's just the validation is very, very important. So that's one particular very just one 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 thing that you can do as an action item
2: yeah validation would go a long way uh rebecca let's go to you
7: thank you um so just just one thing i'm thinking about and wondering you know um so um when, when we're in the office you know we're able to have those spontaneous interactions with coworkers and leaders you know where we can um say to our co-work hey hey do you want to like walk around uh the, the block or the building outside or do you want to like grab a quick cup of coffee and that's where we're able to um you know like just maintain like just the humanness and just, you know, have a little bit of that personal touch. And, you know, you lose a lot of that when you go virtual because it's just all work. And so, um, and so I'm just wondering if maybe like part of the solution could be like maybe because it's virtual, it would have to be intentional of, you know, just like setting up, um, I don't know, like 15 or 20 minute just like social check-in chats um you know just to just just to um maintain those social relationships um but then uh jeremy and um linda and we're also talking about well hey you know with our vendors and with um clients that you know we um you, with that we work with you know like it's always been a virtual relationship and um and that trust has always been there so maybe um so maybe like those spontaneous social relationships aren't necessary for trust um i don't know that's just an idea i'm throwing out there
2: i think it's a great idea and and i've actually heard of companies who you know friday at 3 30. Uh, everybody stops work. You you grab a beverage of your choice, and everybody gets online and they just socialize. I heard a great story from Australia with a CEO who was having weekly meetings, uh, you know, with his C-suite, with his management staff. But then they also started to organize a Friday evening get together online where they would all have a glass of wine. And the <laughs> I love this part. The president of communication would read bedtime stories to everybody's kids. So there there are ways to come together and really sort of, you know, bond online as well.
0: You're listening to Work Cookie, a Sebac podcast. We'll be right back after this break.
7: Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a Ph.D. in Industrial Organizational Psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results, that's what we stand for. That's TurnBoot Organizational Excellence.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabok podcast.
2: Cynthia, I see you still have your hand up.
6: Well, I just thank you. I just kind of wanted to go back. The bedtime stories. What if you're What if your staff doesn't have kids? That's just, by the way. Um, but I want to go back to the fact that um, it seems like letting your staff know that it's not just results that you value them as people because some of that gets lost in the physical social cues of hanging up, hanging out at an office and stopping by people's offices so i feel like if you if you were actually not just being about well where's my stuff and did how come you didn't do this and why did you do that and when is this coming i mean all those things are important and valued and part of your measurement of your remote work value but also uh did you take breaks um, what do you do when you take breaks? I could use some help on wh- what kind of, you have a good meditation app for me, like be interested and not just interesting. And you'd be interested in them personally a little bit without crossing the b- borders. So that's my two cents. Well, first
2: of all, if there's no kids, it's going to be some trashy romance novel. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Set the mood. Um, but I love what you're saying. And, and, and it dawns on me, it's, it's the cultural environment that we've been able to establish some sort of cultural in the office environment which maybe builds that trust element and maybe the solution is building an online scenario and building that online culture um that's definitely a direction i would head lee let's go to you and then linda ann we're off to you
3: well i think that uh one of the important things with this is the managing of expectations and you know that goes up and down you know, the whole thing. And, and I've been an advocate for this for years in person. And it's really more important in the virtual world because what are the expectations? You know, do I expect my boss to check in with me or do I expect my boss to leave me alone until I need them? You know, my boss does, does my boss expect me to check in on, on a regular basis? And when you have established what those expectations are clearly, and then you have a, you can set a schedule. We're going to have a touch point every day at nine o'clock central or whatever that may be that takes some of that ambiguity out and it can take out some of the, the awkwardness of, do they know what I'm doing? Do they, do they trust that I'm working? Well, sure they do. Cause we talked this morning and you know, that way there's also that, you know, well, I haven't talked to my boss in three days. Is something wrong? You know? Well, if your boss says, I'm going to check in with you on Wednesday and otherwise don't bother me unless you need something. Well, then you know that. So that uh, it's a really important thing, especially in the ambiguity of the virtual environment.
2: So, do you think because, in many ways, we really haven't worked out how to do remote work, that that is is damaging that trust issue?
3: Uh, in some in some instances, I think so because uh, you know there are some people that are, you know I've seen on LinkedIn all the time. I've been working remote for the past twenty years. What's wrong with you people? And you know, then you get people who have never worked anywhere other than, you know, a cubicle village. And they don't know how to deal with not hearing that murmur. They don't know how to not deal with being able to go to the coffee pot and seeing a coworker or take a walk to somebody's desk when they have a question. And, you know, the the COVID world threw a lot of people just, you know, it's that whole how to swim by chunking them into the pool. And, uh, you know, in, I think in a lot of you know, before now, a lot of the virtual positions, there was, there was kind of an onboard, there was a ramp up, there was a, a, a putting out of expectations and making sure you had the equipment and this is what we're going to do and this is what your results will be and that sort of thing. Where, you know, yesterday I was in the office, today I'm hiding from a virus in my attic, you know, how do I how do I deal with this world? Um, and, I'm, you know, and it's kind of it says a lot for the human condition, the fact that we have made it this far without the world imploding. Um, but there are people hankering to go back to the office, both because they're people. And, you know, there's there's a lot to be worked out in the next year. I think the uh, the world of work will change a lot in the next year, I think.
2: Yeah, I've heard some economists saying that we're in the same sort of transition now as we were in the Industrial Revolution, that things are are you know changing that much. Linda Ann, let's go to
4: you. A couple of things and a couple of questions. And one of them is you know, we're talking about the transfer of trust, right? And that makes the assumption that there was trust in the beginning. I think that there's a, a lot of companies where there is no trust to begin with. So trying to establish that where it didn't exist before is exponentially harder. Uh, but one of the things, and you know, and I think it was in the, one of the VCM programs with is it Liam Martin, and he talked about transparency. And I think that you know, just because you want to have trust, or even if you had trust before, you know, trust and respect are something that's really earned, and so that even if it existed before i think there you have to go through take some new steps to maintain that and reestablish it in a different way and so i that really does fall on leadership and management to make sure that that's happening for their their employees one of the things, um, I think it was Rebecca was talking about the socialization. There's someone, I can't remember his name, but I, I believe that he wrote a book that was called uh, Never Eat Alone. And he was part of how he was dealing with the remote work environment, the transition to remote. And uh, he created appointments to have dinner and lunch with people online. And so even in the, the physical workplace, there were some managers where I've worked before that because they didn't have a lot of direct interaction with certain employees, you know, if they were one or two layers down, they would make a point to have lunch with them on a monthly basis or a random basis to just establish connection and find out what's going on in their head and things like that. That while takes a little bit more effort, I think in some ways, is still doable. I mean, there's not everything transitions, but it's still doable to have maybe three people and sit down. We're having lunch today and um you know, sit there and actually eat lunch together and have a social conversation.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's always sort of amazed me, but, you know, let, let's look at the younger generation. You know, I've got, you know, former students who are now in their early 20s who are getting together online and playing video games. You know, they're streaming their video games and they're creating this community of people who are socializing together. So maybe there's some things we can learn from, you know, people are in their 20s, and maybe even teenagers when it comes to establishing communities of trust online. But, but go ahead then, Dan.
4: I, I, I wanted to say that, you know, um, one of the things I think it was Liam had said was he emphasized the transparency, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that that's a really big key because if people aren't making, if leaders aren't making the effort to really be transparent so that people understand what's going on and what the focus of things are, you kind of can go down a rabbit hole and not get it, right? So I think that that's an effort that needs to really be on top of mind for a lot of leaders.
2: And, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as I do research and, and go through, you know, what's being posted on various, you know, social medias like LinkedIn, that transparency issue really seems to be coming forward as we navigate through the remote or online workforce. It seems to be popping up all of the time. Um, so how do we get around that? I mean, how how does a leader become transparent because a leader still there, if I'm your leader, chances are, I can't tell you everything I know and maybe I don't need to, there may be some decisions that are coming from upstairs that I've been asked not to share at this point. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> I've also been the employee who, boy, if I knew my job and my whole area was in jeopardy, if you would have shared that information with me, we might be, we might have been able to make this not happen. And you tell me you didn't want it to happen. But boy, if you would have shared more information with me, I could have been part of that team. So how, how does a leader navigate that when there may be issues that I can't divulge to you fully, but it's important for you to know.
4: I don't know if that's if that's a question for me or <laughs> whoever, but I think that even though there, there might be decisions going on, that there are things that are leading up to those kind of decisions. And if people, if you share information regularly and often and and the good and the bad, then, then that helps soften those times when top decisions need to be made. I, I think that there's a lot of people who really have great companies who have a lot of trust, they share just about everything. Like we're in a hole, man. We got to do something about it. You know,
2: <laughs> I, I wish you were running HR when I was working for that group. <laughs> Sarah, let's go to you.
5: Yep. So you were asking about uh, transparency and if I'm a leader, how do I become more transparent? That's going to deal with a couple of things. So that's going to deal with, okay, number one, what is your level of formality? Um, Each one of us has a different level of formality that we're comfortable with. um, And that is greatly going to depend on that. Second would be um, your level of precision. So some people um, prefer to kind of, and I hate to say it, they're like data wranglers and they like to keep the information to themselves because they're worried about it becoming tainted or destroyed or something happening to it. This is where I'm a huge fan of um, the use of shared drives. Um, I love shared drives. I think they're fantastic. As long as people are using versions um, when they're working on documents together in a collaborative form, um, it's just really helpful because then people can maintain their own version of a community document, but then the community can also have a shared version. Um, And this way, there's none of that kind of uh, dragon guarding the gold situation with some of our more precise leaders because that, that, that is what can happen. Um, their their high level of precision and their high level of formality make them want to kind of guard the information um, for fear of losing it or losing control over the entire project or situation. So anything we can do to get that information into the hands of everyone is going to empower leaders um, to kind of take a step back. In a way that they can give their teams that autonomy to create and co-create together um, because they have all of the information that they need. Now, in regards to more uh, bureaucratic decision making and that sort of thing, that type of information, um, that takes a little bit of that formality level to be able to manage. Right. And I think leaders that have a higher level of formality tend to do well in that instance, um, because they're, they're able to navigate uh, whether or not it's appropriate to share that information in the first place. Um, so I think there's a level of transparency that needs to happen, but I also think that there is certain information that doesn't always need to be shared because it either doesn't align with the job function, um, or the, Team members have already bought into the project sufficiently to where they don't need that continued motivation that comes from sharing that level of information. Does that make sense? So I find if your team is becoming incredibly disengaged and they're kind of pulling back on ownership, it's really important to re-engage them by sharing some of that more high-level information so that they can feel aligned with the ultimate goal and purpose again Um, But when it comes to creating and co-creating, it really is about giving them the tools and the information they need to be able to do that. And then also kind of the autonomy and remote work facilitates that very well. Um, Again, it's just about putting in strategies. So I would say shared drives and and document versions are excellent.
2: That's a great idea, (laughs) but about to get in trouble again. Why, when I know something, Mm. do I get this feeling of excitement? When I know something that somebody else doesn't.
5: Because you're a human. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because humans, um, we're social creatures and having the information is an evolutionary advantage. Um, because if you have more information than someone else, evolutionary, you know, like in this, the state of things, you're doing better, right? You have more information. That means you know where the food is. You know where the gold is. You know where the resources are. Um It's normal. It's just because we live in a hyper socialized and industrialized society now that our animalistic instincts are a little bit harder to control, which is why so many of us deal with anxiety, but that's a tangent. So I would say that in that instance, it's just really important to remember that and to just say, hey, it's okay to get excited. It's okay to kind of get that little buzz, but that doesn't mean you have to tell everyone everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) that might be more of my problem
5: Um, hey tom
6: yeah this this is a this is a hot button for me about shared knowledge because until really you know obviously technology and now that we're in a participatory culture it used to be everything in a silo you know knowledge is power you know, we, you know, very, like, for example, in the Japanese culture, it's very silo, as you know, and we have been, been very silo with the car industry or whatever. But you also have to recognize that in the workplace, the, the people that are coming up into the millennials that are maturing and now the Gen Zs that are coming into the workforce, to them, shared knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. To them, having the knowledge and sharing the knowledge makes them feel good. That's what makes things go viral. When you, you share something because you want to be cool, that's why you share something online, because you want to be, look how funny I am, look how smart I am, look how stupid I am, look how bad I feel, look how good I feel. Because as Sarah said, we are, we are social creatures, we're tribal by nature. And so you ha- when you are dealing with the employees, you have to underst- meet them where they're at too because... To to a twelve year old, they share their password with their best friend because they think it's funny, and then the pa- the best friend you know p- post something online. That, you know they have a fight and post something of them and, and embarrasses them. But as adults, we evolve and we know if we share a password, our security is going to be at risk. And so, but but they have to be they have to know that they what they can and can't share. So it works both ways about shared knowledge. It's also making sure employees in these pu- public environments um are able to know when to hold them and fold them too a little yeah. bit of an off topic there jeremy sorry about that part but yeah
5: no, but like, you're that Right, right like, in line with that book that I recommended last time, the pendulum. So right now millennials and Gen Z they're the swing toward a more collectivist culture, right? So we're in that phase of the, of the swing period, um, which is why we're going to see a lot of more focus on people with internal locus of control, n- uh, less of a need for external validation and more of this collectivist communal, um, almost, uh, I hate to say it this way, but like, it's like a more feminine energy. Uh, that's that's the swing of all of this, right? And we went through this, I believe it was in the 60s, um, was the last time America went through this swing. So we're just doing it again, but this time with technology, which is making it really interesting in social media. So yeah, really cool. Really cool, Cynthia.
2: Sarah's talking about a summer of love. Uh, <laughs> I'm into that. Um, Rebecca, let's go to you.
7: Thank you. Um so kind of so uh it's been a while since, since we've talked about it, but um I Linda and I, I really liked your um your idea of you know like how uh some companies um like employees make appointments with each other or like leaders or and managers make appointments with employees to eat lunch together, you know, to um to have like a social interaction. Um I really like that idea. And I think um and I think in order, you know, for, for that to happen, that, um, you know, that like, The meetings that we have that like we need to get a better handle on on that and like you know be more intentional because you know I'm just thinking um of a lot of situations where like a lot of employees you know like have like all of these meetings and a lot of times it's it's too many meetings and a lot of them like a meeting really isn't necessary it could have just been like an email interaction but I feel like um we have too many meetings for for um Two different reasons. One, because there's a lack of trust, you know, and so like the meeting is there to just kind of like, you know, check in on people because, you know, we're not really sure if they're doing what they're supposed to do. And then two, um, we have a tendency to set up too many meetings as kind of like pseudo-social interaction, you know, like the meeting really isn't necessary, but people want to, you know. People want to set them up, you know, as kind of like a pseudo social interaction. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, I feel like part of establishing trust, you know, like is really kind of being intentional, like with, with the meetings, um, you know, and like having less meetings because, um, because like if people like have too many meetings, you know, like, like, a lot of people, like, use their lunch break as, like, oh, okay, like, a break from from Zoom, you know, because I've had, like, these three back-to-back Zoom meetings. Um, or, sadly, they use it as a time to, like, do actual work because they're not able to do their actual work because of all, all of these meetings.
2: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because about a year ago... Uh, when the pandemic hit and everything went online, it was we must do video messaging. We must get meat on video every time we needed a decision made or anytime we wanted to share information. And, and we started to see people getting burnt out. You know, Zoom fatigue became a thing. Zoom dysmorphia became a thing. And we had to start saying to people, you know, it doesn't always have to be a video meeting. Sometimes just sending a text message is the right solution. So it was, you know, that everyone was so focused on video. We forgot about audio. We forgot about textual messages, you know, emails. You know, When was the last time somebody picked up a phone and just called somebody? So you're right that, you know, we really, everybody went down the, the video uh, trap where we really should have been using multiple forms of communication uh, synth or sorry, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
4: So I'm just going to throw this out there as, a, as an idea. And what if the the challenge is really that managers need to be more conscious about their management? In other words, when you're in the office, they kind of walk around or see you or whatever, and they do whatever comes naturally. Right, whether interaction or how they're giving direction for a particular project and so forth. But this process is needs to be more conscious and more purposeful for them. And so I think that maybe because it's so unfamiliar that they don't know what to do next, but it's because I think that a lot of leaders don't really have never had any understanding of management style, leadership style, and have not done it on a very conscious basis.
2: You know, there's, there's a lot of chat out there that when people progress through, a, through an organization, you know, they've, they've shown that they're incredibly good at the job. They've you know, shown some leadership skills. So there is, and now they're becoming a manager or a leader. And there's training in, you know, how to do the job, but not really how to lead people. It seems to be, you know, <laughs> we always consider training for the employees, but especially as we go through this change and, you know, looking at it is uh, as a big change, not seen since the industrial revolution, it really is going to become important for leadership to actually get that training, to actually focus on it now, because we are in a new paradigm. Um, so, you you know, you're absolutely right. That, that's, that really does seem to be the gap right now. Uh, Cynthia, let's go to you.
6: Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about I, I worked for this chairman of a studio and he's his management style was if you're not angry, then you it's not any good. It's not you're not passionate. If you're not passionate, then therefore your project should not go forward. That doesn't work very well on Zoom. Also, he was actually very shy. And so what he did was he put this wall around him so that it was impenetrable. You'd go, you'd be afraid to go in his office because it was a way for him not to have those interactions. He would just be like, bam, bam, bam. So, but yet he made a lot of money for that company and he was very valuable to the bottom line and not all leaders are, you know, that's usually why there's another person who kind of helps manage, but you can't get away from that when you're, because top management needs management too and there are different styles for that. I don't know how to manage that online. I just can't even imagine being on Zoom with this guy. But, um, but it would have to be a reality. Maybe somebody's had that experience. I'd be curious.
2: Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Or And Jeremy, maybe it's time to bring you back in here because what the heck do you do when you're a manager who wants to build trust online and you've got your leader going, you know, basically going, I don't care about trust online. I care about the bottom line. I care that it's productive and profitable. How do you change that
1: culture? Go back and listen to last week's episode.
2: All <laughs> right. Beyond that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a full full hour to respond to your question. <laughs> seriously, seriously.
2: Yeah, we we are creating that library, which is chock full of information now. Huh? <laughs> well, maybe this is. We've only got about twelve minutes left, so. Um let's take a little break and look we'll at back to this but do you want to tell us what's going on with Sebac?
1: So, yes, there's an event in April. So let me start off. Yes, yeah, so there's an event in April that we're doing. It's what it's a uh, it's a paid event which we don't do a whole lot of. It's 10 10 bucks. What skills do I need to be a successful IO practitioner? Uh it's in April. Just put it out. Tom, I, you're this is the first time you're hearing about it, and thank you for volunteering to, to be the MC for that particular event, much appreciated. It's 10, it's ten bucks, it's free to, if you're a Pathfinder, uh, IO Pathfinder member or career Pathfinder member, our, uh, uh, those paid events are free. Um, onto the Pathfinder program. We're constantly listening to feedback and adding new benefits. We recently added um, a, you know, there was some, how do I connect more with people in person? That, that are in io because let's face it the biggest you know control centers of io where, where you can find most ios you're looking at dc pennsylvania uh maybe new york beyond that it's really scattered i mean there there's a map there i don't know where the map is but i've seen it right of, of where the ios are really located um but it can, they can be few and far between especially if you're on the outskirts of the city so we added benefit where we search our vast networks of IO practitioners. And we do a match that you can, we introduce you to people you can meet up with for coffee, those kinds of things. That way you can have an in-person, maybe even do a job shadow. And uh, of course, we'll uh, eventually put together an end in-person event. So I wanted to mention that if you're interested in, in what the Pathfinder program is for, if you're looking for answers that you haven't found in school, if you're looking to um, get started in your in your career, if you're trying to make a name for yourself, if you feel lost in the fray, if you feel you don't really have a support system and you want to have really personal relationships with a tremendous team, blows my mind every single day, um, that you can go to and, uh there's a waiting list currently for that. Click on iO start here. and of course, for that event in April, there's an event link special. Thank you to Brendan, who provided some really good feedback. He was nice enough to look over the program and give his keen eye and offer some suggestions. So very much appreciate that. Something I noticed with, uh, you know uh, of the experts that we have, Uh, So we have a number of experts that run that are in the program. They they do the call. You know, it's kind of like having when you sign up. It's kind of like having an IO expert pathfinder career uh, expert in your pocket. Uh, Thank you, Brittany, for that terminology. She said it's like having an IO career in your pocket. So kudos to Brittany for that. Have to give credit where credit is due because you get you monthly calls and you can choose when during the month you you need them and they're included. They're they're included. with, with, um, membership. So it's just a, it's a, it's a really great program. We have weekly office hours, tons, tons of different benefits. Um, but I noticed we, the things that we're talking about here, I noticed that we walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Cynthia is talking about picking up and, and just having phone calls. Cynthia and I just had a regular phone call, which they still exist yesterday. Um, and it's great just to have phone calls. I've had phone calls with four of our experts with today, Thursday, having four different phone calls with, with, with your colleagues used to, you know, that wasn't, that might happen multiple times a day, but four times a week, I think now having actual phone calls with the telephone, uh, it it's good. It's refreshing and you can keep them to 10, five, 10 minutes. And we do that and they're very exciting and they're very helpful. But again, I'm just I'm blown away every time I have a, a phone call with with um, each of these uh, crew, including you, Tom. Well, we usually Definitely. do our zooms. Yeah, we do. You
6: <laughs> yeah. know what? Sometimes it's just easier. It's a, it's a not a super complex problem, but you have to get the zoom and then you got da, 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 da. I just want to pick up the phone and go. It's too hard to explain in an email. We'll go back and forth forever. Let's just talk for a minute but someone had said to me in, in here, I think maybe it was Sarah or somebody that they mo- mostly text. I don't even answer the phone. You know what? To get my son who's 31, he texts me, I text him and then he calls me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, call me. Cause sometimes it's just too hard to text it or write it out and too much work to put it on video.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've, we've got to investigate all the methods of communication and figure out which one's appropriate for us. Um, and, and yeah, I, I mean, I love, Doing this because I get to see people's faces. But sometimes it's really just send me a text message. Uh, and And one of the things I found that's incredibly effective is when I start working with somebody is I go, what's your preferred method of communication? If I want to get in touch with you, is it a video call? Is it a phone call? Is it a text message? and and it's <laughs> what's has surprised me, is the, re- the reaction, the response I get, because people have never been asked that question before. But I think especially now as we go through this transition, it's one of the key questions we need to be asking. You know, if if I'm working with somebody and I need to know something really quickly, maybe I'm just going to send you a, a, a sh- short text if I just need a yes, no answer. If it's more complicated, as Cynthia says, yeah, there's sometimes I want to talk to you on video. Um, but I have become a fan of the phone again. Uh, it's a little difficult for me to get my, my daughters who are 18 and 22 on the phone, uh, because it's not part of their existence. Um, they use hey, text, Tom, they use video. Yeah.
5: Brittany just put in the chat something and I gotta, I gotta chime in. I'm sorry. I gotta, sure, go I, gotta I gotta, I gotta shine light on what Brittany's saying here is there's a cultural difference because as a millennial, like, I think it's rude to just call someone like I have to text them first. Um, and it's true, like a hundred percent, like that is it. Nail on head, Brittany. What's wrote it wrong down with you, people, and it's rude. So like that's how I see it. It's like, if why are you calling me? Why didn't you text me first? Like that's what I'm thinking, but can i can I put in maybe another suggestion cause I'm good at the suggestion box. Um, I really like video messages for two reasons. Number one, I get to see you because I like to see people's faces when they talk to me. Two, you can do it at your convenience. And actually three, if I forget what you said, I can refer back to it again. So voice messaging and video messaging is like my favorite thing because you can just use your voice if you want. It's like voicemail, but not because no one ever checks their voicemail. (laughs) So, but through email, like you can send these things through your email now. There's tons of services that do it. And I find people are really fast to respond to these because they're new and people aren't really like used to getting them yet. So they really enjoy it.
1: So yeah, I really like, those are great suggestions. My question, I have a question. Does this mean it's okay to first ask people their age now so you can determine whether or not it's okay to call them without texting them? No,
7: first? Jeremy,
5: you ask <laughs> them if they prefer, text and then you can infer their age you do not ask a lady their age
1: got it thank you, the
5: story. you know, I I'm
2: a street <laughs> yes. performer and guess people's ages by finding out what social media they use I love <laughs> Linda Ann let's go to you
4: I was gonna say that I'm a boomer and I don't usually call anybody unless I text them are you available for a call you know and, no, and my boomer friends are the same way and I, and I love it you know because you're not doing the leaving the voicemail trading phone calls yeah you know, or then if they say no, not right now, say, well, call me when you have a minute or whatever. You just text them and, and then you're, you're good. It's more about I hate it when somebody calls and just starts talking like I was sitting here doing nothing, waiting for you to call. I think that's really rude. So I love the technology. I
2: promise I will text you before I call.
4: <laughs> Rebecca, <laughs> let's go to
2: you.
7: <laughs> yeah, so. um Um, yeah, so, so, so as, as a millennial, you know, like, um, I, I just, you know, wanted to point out that I don't think it's rude, you know, like for people to, to call. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that because, um, you know, like, uh, because yeah, I don't have a problem with people just calling because like, if I'm not available, you know, then I'm just going to let it go to voicemail. I'll listen to the voicemail and and I'll get back to you. Um, You know, so I I just wanted, so, I mean, Like it's possible that like maybe like I'm like an outlier like unicorn and maybe it really is true that most millennials like do think it's rude. But um, I would just be careful about um, making these generalizations based on age and, you know, just like be direct and just, you know, like ask people their preferred methods of communication.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Christopher, (laughs) we're about the same age. Save me. (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to save you, but I,
8: we as human beings, feel better when we can see the faces that we're talking to. We can infer their emotions. We can tell their intentions. When you're on the phone, you don't know what they're doing just by what they're saying. It's it's an emotional thing that we can see who we're talking with.
2: Yeah, and you know, if I can connect with you emotionally, I, I gotcha. <laughs>
8: <laughs> that's it's like when when we talk on Zoom together on our one-on-ones, you want to see me. You want to see what my face is doing.
2: Yeah, it's it's all part of that communication process. Yeah. And, you know, we we speak with more than our voice. So it really helps me when when mm-hmm. You know, I'm having a meeting, I can actually see somebody's face. But sometimes I can just send you a text or an email. <laughs> yeah,
8: if, if if that'll do, then. Yeah. But if we're going to have a long conversation, you want to see what that person's face is doing.
2: Yeah. To, you the know, full context of the communication. That's exactly it. And I think, you know, especially if we're trying to build trust with somebody in the remote world. Yes you know, meeting somebody face-to-face online is a really sort of good way to do that. So, yeah, I'd agree with you 100% there. Um, Well, Jeremy, we are almost out of time. So um, are you ready for next week's show?
1: Yes, next week's show. Thank you, Tom. How to This is going to be a tough one for next week because the default answer is kick them out. How to reverse toxic leadership in the virtual workspace or a regular workspace, I suppose. That is going to be a tough, very, very, very tough one. So uh, I'm sure there's yeah, lots of stories yeah, because, out there people have had experience. <laughs> yeah.
6: I, don't, I don't entirely understand that question. Could you say it again? Oh.
1: How to reverse toxic leadership in the workplace. Hmm. So if you're, if you're dealing with a toxic leader, how to move that forward? Uh, is that right, Jeremy? how to keep, how to make them a non-toxic person. Is it even possible? That's why it's going to be such a <laughs> yeah. great, it might not. Hey, you know, but there is, it's, there, there is hope there, there is help. There are things that can be done. We are going to have to be on our toes and I hope that uh, I don't have to speak at all during, <laughs> during <laughs> next week because it's going to be that tough. Um Tom, thank you, thank you, everyone, everyone who chimed in. Thank you, thank you. See you next week. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast.